the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business of Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Later in the show, I'll be talking to Brian Hayes, the former Fine Gael politician and minister who recently took over as head of the Banking and Payments Federation Ireland. Uh, we'll also be joined by Pierce Darty of Sinn Féin and we'll be talking about bankers' bonuses, which reared its head again this week following comments by the Minister of State for Financial Services, Michael Darcy. But first, Peter Hamilton joins me in the studio to run through some of the major business stories of the week and we're going to start with Boris. Who else? I know, indeed. Uh, so I suppose that the, from our perspective, markets and businesses weren't exactly over the moon with the election of Boris. Uh, Moody's, the ratings agent, who people would be familiar with, they warned that a no-deal Brexit was more likely than before and they said uh, it was... Sorry, they... they they Seriously negative for the UK. Absolutely. Uh, negative for, for bonds and, and such like. Uh, they also, then Goldman Sachs, another big player, they revised their odds of a no-deal Brexit upwards to 20% from 15%. And they said the risk of a pre-Brexit election had risen. Uh, Sterling, meanwhile, which has been typically volatile of late... Uh, was a, was again volatile on the day. It dipped slightly on on Boris's election mm. um, against the euro. So what about businesses? Did we have some reaction from some of these chambers of commerces or maybe the CBI in Britain, etc.? Yeah, and I, look, I suppose the thing was that there's a hundred days now until Brexit. So the CBI in the UK said in those first hundred days, which are typically measured as a as an important uh, milestone, in those first hundred days, Boris needs to restore confidence to the economy. Um, that's what the CBI in London said, and and. That'll be easier said than done, I suppose, because other groups came out, like the UK Food and Drink Federation. They said that a, a no deal, which Boris seems to be in favour of, they said that would cause uh, mortal damage on the UK food and drink. While the Ulster Farmers Union then said that a no deal re- would result in high tariffs, as we know already, and lower quality, cheap food imports, not to mention, of course, a hard border. So, I, I mean, they were setting out their stall quite clearly and saying that we need clarity more than anything else in these first 100 days. Yeah, OK, well, let's see how he gets on with that. Now, we're going to talk about Ryanair. This is holiday season and the, the threat of disruption is very much in the air. It is, and it's not just for Ryan, Ryanair passengers, I suppose. Uh, but we'll start with Ryanair. Their Irish-based pilots are balloting for strike action in a row over pay that dates back to February. This is on the back of a similar ballot uh, in the UK. So the vote in Ireland has started and it's due to end on August 9th. If... That vote results in a vote for strike action. They then have seven days. They have to notify seven days in advance of strike action. So stoppages could begin in the middle of next month. Um, Now, the union hasn't detailed what pay increases they're seeking uh, and we're not exactly clear on what pilots are getting paid. Ryanair did say that they are in between 140 grand and 200,000 euro uh, last year. Unions disputed that figure at the time. That's one of them. Then there's BA, British Airways. Um, their pilots are also being strike, balloted for strike action in the UK by BALPA, the British Airline Pilots Association. If that goes ahead, they have to give two weeks notice uh, and that strike could start start in the second week of August. Now, that's important for Irish consumers in the sense that a lot of people will be using Heathrow and British Airways to fly onwards on long-haul flights, might be to Asia or Australia or even America. Exactly, and I suppose this doesn't isn't just holidaymakers. For example, on Thursday, there are 13 flights uh, British Airways flights scheduled from Dublin Airport both to Heathrow and London, London City Airport. On Friday there are 12 and one of those is to Manchester. So there could be significant disruption for Irish passengers here. Uh, I, I suppose, you know, some time ago there were figures as to how many passengers BA flies from Ireland to Heathrow in a year. It's about 600,000. But in these peak July, August and uh, July, August and September months, um, 
about 200,000 departures uh, from Dublin Airport to Heathrow in those in that peak three month period. That's Heathrow alone. It's our top arrival mm-hmm. and departure destination. Um, so and, and look, added to all of that then is the fact that 4,000 Heathrow staff uh, are also well, uh, they've been balloted for strike action. Now, they cancelled a strike for this weekend, but they've left uh, strikes scheduled for August 5th and August uh, 23rd. So it could be significant dis- disruption from the middle of next month. All right. Now, let's move on to uh, a number of state agencies reported some results uh, this week and um, shows, uh, well, not they don't make for good reading. Not, not particularly, especially where Board Nimona is concerned. Um, they lost almost 50 million in the year to March. Now, I suppose some of that was accounted for in the fact that they spent more than 91 million on voluntary redundancies and investing in new businesses. Um, I suppose that investment in new business is all well and good when it goes to plan. But in the case of one of their plants, uh, an ESB electricity plant at Shannon Bridge, which Board Nimona operates, um, they plan to redevelop that plant to turn it into biomass, to, to burn biomass there, rather than burn peat. But they wanted to continue burning peat until 2027. 20, now, and said that that wasn't uh, going to happen. They refused permission uh, on based on the effects of continuing peat burning. So presumably that's put jobs at risk. About 300 jobs now are at risk at that particular plant alone. Uh, and this is after, as, as I mentioned, Board Nimona cut a significant number of staff in, in the past 12-month period to March. They have cut their net debt, I suppose, which is pleasant uh, to know for the for the taxpayer. They cut it by 70% to £23 million. Um, but look, all in all, this isn't this isn't fantastic news. All right, Peter, so that's uh, Board Nimona. What was the story at Inroad Aaron? Uh, Inroad Aaron had a similarly poor picture, I suppose, while revenues were up, passenger numbers were up, profit was down as recorded. Otherwise well, known as Irish Rail, of course. I- Irish Rail, indeed. Uh, so, so, so they recorded a deficit of 1.1 million in 2018. Uh, and look... I suppose it comes on the back of a, a lower subvention, the subvention from the state, what, what taxpayers give in to the company, dripped by over 22% to £89 uh, million. And it also incurred a £6.8 million deficit on its rail infrastructure division. Overall, not a great picture at a time when the state is trying to improve rail services. Uh, it's it's difficult to know. Irnother have had a tough number of years um, and it, it's difficult to know where it goes from here. To turn it back has into a monopoly, obviously, but it also should be said that it's a it's a business that sucks up a lot of cash in terms of infrastructure, trying to keep the the network uh, safe and reliable, uh, and all of that. Uh, fortunately, uh, some better news from the Irish Times, uh, which also reported results this week to staff. It was absolutely so. The Irish Times, uh, the print industry has been difficult for the last last few years. But the Irish Times posted a positive set of results, as you said. There, the publisher made a two point six one million operating profit. That was up five point two percent on the previous year, while turnover rose uh, by a fifth to ninety four point four million. That reflects an acquisition of the Irish Examiner and other assets from Cork's landmark media investments, including a number of regional papers and uh, and radio stations. But Promisingly, comp- the company saw revenues from consumer content rise 2.1%, while advertising another tough market that grew 1%. The uh, the managing director of the Irish Times, Liam Kavanagh, said that such growth was a big achievement, and he said that the paid content model had been a tr- tremendous success. And if you look at what if you look at those numbers in in 2018, the the Irish Times had 87,638 subscribers. That has since risen to over 90,000. So the company's had three successive years of Rising consumer revenues with digital uh, revenues accelerating almost sixteen percent. Um, it, it's 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 a good news story in a, in a difficult industry where, especially in Ireland, where it's a uh, tale of two revenue streams essentially, isn't it? it Print is. unfortunately continues to go down. 
However, on the digital side, we've made some real progress. Absolutely. The Irish Times has, has made considerable progress on the digital side. And when you look at competitors who haven't embraced that digital model, it, it shows the company to be in a, in a good position. Okay, Peter, thank you for joining us. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, I'll be talking to Brian Hayes and Pierce Starty about bankers' bonuses. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Welcome back to this Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Uh, whatever platform you're listening on, remember to subscribe for free so you'll never miss a weekly episode of this podcast. And it would be great if you could give us a rating or a review. Now, earlier this week, the Minister of State for Financial Services, Michael Darcy, told the Financial Times that the banking pay restrictions that are in place here should remain. This is in spite of pressure from the banking industry to loosen the restrictions. AIB, Bank of Ireland and Permanent TSB are currently subject to a half a million euro salary cap while a punitive 89% tax rate applies to any bonuses paid by those institutions. So should those res- uh, should the restrictions stay or go? Joining me in the studio is Brian Hayes, the former Fianna Gael TD and MEP and now the Chief Executive of Banking and Payments Federation Ireland. And later I'll be speaking by phone to Pierre Stoherty, finance spokesman for Sinn Féin and a long-time critic of the banking industry for the ways in which they have mistreated their customers post the crash, or at least that's how he sees it. Uh, first of all, Brian, how's the new job going? Very well. It's very busy. Um a kind of baptism of fire in the sense that there's so much going on and uh, of course we had the uh, the the tracker report out last week which was a very difficult time uh, for the people involved but also a realisation for the industry that we have a huge road ahead of us to travel in terms of reputation and trying to reposition the industry so uh, it's been uh, it's been a good time now as a politician, and particularly as an MEP over the past five years, you've been very critical of the banks, accusing them of fleecing their customers in terms of mortgage rates and so forth and calling for the consumer uh, competition body to investigate them in relation to those interest rates. And yet, here you are now, effectively, as the chief spokesman for the banking industry. What possessed you to take this role? Well, I certainly didn't take the role to become popular. Um, I believe that the industry is worth fighting for. I think uh, there's lots of really good people in the industry. It's a crucial industry to the future investment role for this country. We're down about 20% from top to tail, as you know, Kieran. And we've got to make sure that this industry is fit for purpose and that it actually responds to what the consumers and the shareholders want. Um, I think the, the important issue is when I was asked to, would I be interested in this, because I did see it as a challenge, a real meaningful challenge and a worthwhile challenge uh, in trying to make sure... Um, that this industry can communicate uh, with not just the public but with all stakeholders about the importance of it. So, yes, they, they have asked me to do this role. I have been a critic in the past. Um, and I suppose that that's not a bad sign, actually, from the bank's perspective. The fact that they've asked a critic uh, to take up this role, I think, shows um, um, a yearning on their part to do things differently. And I hope it's part of an attitudinal change. I've made it very clear that my, my job is not to defend the bank's my job is not to be uh, some apologist for the banks. When the banks cock up extraordinarily, when they make enormous mistakes uh, and the scandal we saw in relation to trackers, another example of that, I'm not there to defend that. My job is to fight for an industry 
uh, and the positioning of that industry in this country. And that's something that I feel passionately about. So what position will you take if they do cock up? If we have another tracker scandal, what position will you take? Well, it's not the job of the BPFI to make sure that it defends wrongdoing, nor is it the job of the BPFI uh, to be slow about saying that. The task of BPFI, which is a much bigger organisation than just the banks, because we represent, of course, as you know, all the payment service companies, all the fintechs, we've all the international banks. It's the Banking and Payments Federation. Oh, yeah, sure. But come on, it's uh, realistically, it's the retail banks call the shots at the BPFI, don't they? Uh, the retail banks are a significant player because it's a very concentrated marketplace, but it is a much wider organisation than, than just the retail banks. But have they, have they hired you to criticise them for wrongdoing whenever it's shown? You know, if we have another tracker or scandal and you come out and say, well, it's wrong, what they did was wrong, etc., and you criticise them, are they been, paying you for I've that? Been, I've been hired as the CEO of the Banking and Payments Federation of Ireland, which is a multi-layered organisation, uh, very full of very committed, talented people from everything from capital markets to vulnerable customers, to how we deal with SMEs, to how we have a a mortgage market that's fit for purpose. We deal with all of the gamut of issues there. And of course, it's also one of the reasons I suspect they came to me was my European experience. Uh, 70% of all financial laws, you know, is now decided in co-decision making between the European Council and the European Parliament. Uh, The role played by EU prudential regulators like the SSM and the ECB is absolutely central uh, to how the banks and the payment service companies operate. So it's a much wider piece. But I mean, I I say, and I repeat it, it's not my job to defend something that's wrong. I won't do that. Will you criticise them? Yes. You will. Right, okay. All right, Uh, well, we'll see how that plays out down the road. I've written a speech about this over a week ago, which no one, few enough people uh, um, covered. And I made the point in the speech that what the, the banking industry needs to go through now is this fundamental change, where I made the point that I think most people recognise that the banks are capable, there's lots of capable people in there, but the question mark over the banks is their character, whether or not they do the right thing or the wrong thing, whether they uh, make an expedient decision of profit over a long-term relationship with their customer. And I think um, that's the the area we've got to push, that's the, the action plan that we've got to push, not just demonstrating to customers that the banks get it, but demonstrating to regulators, the supervisors, and the public at, 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 at large. We, we can't have a functioning economy without a functioning banking and payment sector. It's absolutely crucial to the comeback of Ireland sustainable. I mean, I make no apologies. Uh, I, st- I very much believe uh, in sustainable uh, profit base for the banking industry. Uh, but the bigger task for the banks is change, innovation, digitalization. Uh, the whole payment question, where the industry is going in terms of that change piece. And that's why we need people at the head of our banks uh, which are able to deliver that change and the customer experience that goes with that. All right, now the main banks, AIB, Bank of Ireland, Permanent TSB, they would also like to see some change in terms of the restrictions on uh, bankers' pay. They're subject to this half a million salary cap at the minute and also the um, the tax that applies, the 89% tax that applies in relation to bonuses. Now, you were part of a Fine Gael um, government that uh, introduced these and stood over them. Um, well, the question is, will they be there forever? Yeah. And I, I think... Well, they won't um, be there forever. I don't think anybody expects them to be there forever. Well, well, but well, should they be changed well, right now? Well, the, 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 I, think, I think... Well, first and foremost, and I really mean this, because I've spoken to all the CEOs about this, um, this does not come up as the priority issue of the banks right now. The media are presenting this, if I can say um, honestly, 
as the, the that the banks are clamouring for this, this is the number one issue, this, they're obsessed by this day in, day out. That is not the position. The banks recognise that this was brought in at a certain time to deal with the fact that we had three pillar banks that were effectively bailed out by the state. As the public shareholding is unwound within those organisations, uh, there should be movement on this issue. I think it needs to be done on an incremental basis. I think it has to be done on a sustainable basis. Um, I would like in this country to have the same policy on remuneration pay across the banking sector as applies in other Eurozone countries. For instance, we have two categories of banks that where this applies. We have the three banks that you've mentioned where it applies. And even within those three banks, Kieran, the, the level of state shareholding is different, one bank to the next. Um, the EBA, the European Banking Authority, has set out the guidelines for, for pay remuneration. Uh, the, the, the kind of combination between fixed pay on one side and variable pay on the other. And, you know, I want to get to that position because why? If we had an EBA a system in place right now, we could have clawbacks in place, which we don't have. And frankly, it's not a good position for the banks to be in. If the only way they can increase uh, a pay structure is through direct pay, that's not good for their cost base, particularly as downturns might emerge. So we need to get to beyond this. If I was thinking very honestly about it, um, how and when can this be done? That's an issue for the politicians. Um, yeah, but come on, you, you were a politician, you're now head of the Banking and Payments Federation, so you're part of the industry now. So, yeah. you know, what's what's realistic? When well, do you think... I, I'll set up what I think the kind of conditions. I, I, think, I, think we, I think we should be able to make progress on this over a period of time. And maybe the conditions, and I just put this issue out there, could be based on a number of tests. Um, I think the first test would clearly that we have got beyond the, the, the tracker examination and all of the, the penalties and fines to the banks have been imposed and that issue is, is resolved in terms of the Central Bank of Ireland. Secondly, um, where we've clearly made progress in terms of the culture, code of conduct agenda, which you know is an exacting and challenging agenda which the Central Bank of Ireland have set. Um, and I think thirdly, that we've made progress are certainly are on the, on the road towards progress in terms of a personal accountability regime, the Sears Review. Um, I think, you know, those kind of tests that the public, um, that stakeholders, that shareholders need to ask are, are important tests. I mean, this week, I think a very interesting remark was made by the Deputy Governor um, when she was in Glenties uh, on mm. the question of risk. And that was echoed by uh, the, the Governor, Philip Lane, who went to the board of the ECB recently. There are risks for the banks in a circumstance where international banks and other retail banks can create packages which are inordinately better than those packages within the three pillar banks. And I think we have to address that uh, because the big functionality around banks today are really around risk, uh, data analysts, um, the whole question of transformation, regulatory. The, the, the risk component of the banking industry now has fundamentally altered as a consequence sure. of all of the EU banking legislation. And we have to have regard to that when it comes okay, to so you've, you've laid out three criteria there. With a fair wind at your back, um, how long um, before you get through those, well, before it, those true, three issues are dealt with? Well, this is kind of a chicken and egg situation because it's, it's policymakers, members of the Eructus, uh, who have um, set those conditions. Uh, one of them is a, a clear... Uh, issue for for the Finance Act in terms of the the bonus on eighty nine percent, and I suppose there's a question in that. Like in a private sector entity, um, if a person down the food chain delivers a project which is worth a relatively small bonus of maybe three or four thousand a year, uh, they may not have a DC contribution, or they may depends, um, and that well, you're prevented from doing that. 
uh, it's kind of unintended consequence. And yeah, I think, sure. Now, my understanding is that the legislation actually allows for that kind of a bonus to be paid. I think it's from 20 grand upwards, no? There's a question mark on that, whether or not the banks can do that. There's a question mark on whether or not the areas of bonus have to be agreed first and foremost by the Department of Finance. Uh, and that's one of the issues that will be clarified, I think, when the contrary report comes out, because we'll be able to see the scale of this. And I think that is something that we need further clarity on, whether or not relatively small bonuses can be delivered, whether a scheme around those bonuses have to be delivered. Sure. But I think the combination, it's not just you know guys at the top or ladies at the top of the, the, the banks. There has to be a pay structure that is around um, rewarding change management, um, not so much rewarding risk-taking, okay. but rewarding getting the banks to a position where the state, the public state ho- sure. holding can be well, sold let's off. go back to my question. You, you mentioned we have yeah. to get beyond the trackers. We have to make progress on the culture agenda and we have to have the personal accountability regime with, which the central bank are, are seeking. So with a fair wind at your back, how long before those three issues are dealt with or, or delivered? I, I think it's a process, Kieran. Um, and I think, I mean, a lot will depend on, on this stall and the next stall. Uh, and the composition of the next government as to what they want to do. Is it do. a one-year process? Is it three years? I, I, see it as a, I, I see it as a kind of a mid-term uh, process over a number of years. Um, so three to five years? I mean, I I'm not going to put a year on it. I mean, I think... Well, what's mid-term to you? In your well, head, I think what's mid-term over, to you? Over a number of two or three years, I'd like to see some progress, some possible unwinding of these issues. But it has to be aligned to what the shareholders' requirements are. And in the case of the three pillar banks, or at least significantly two of them, the major shareholder is the state. I mean, it's not unreasonable of the state to say it has somewhere between 8 and 12 billion of um, publicly owned shares in those in those banks. It wants as tax... I want as a taxpayer to get those money those monies back as soon as possible. Um, so that's their legitimate expectation. And I suppose the question is, if we continue to put those three banks in a corner, when every other bank in the country operates on a totally different system, a European-wide system, which is fundamentally different than was the case 10 years ago with the super uh, wages and the super remuneration packages that were there, the, the world has changed. Um, the question is one of risk. And I think that's the point that the Deputy Governor made this week in, in the McGill School. I think it was an important point. Yeah. A lot of people out there might be scratching their head on this whole uh, pay issue because they might be saying, hold on a second. Sure, Francesca McDonough gets 950 odd grand uh, a year. That's well outside um, the, the, the pay scale um, that's there at the minute. If you look at AIB, we hear about, well, how they're finding it difficult to retain executives. They replaced David Duffy with somebody like Bernard Byrne, a really accomplished uh, executive. They replaced Bernard Byrne with Colin Hunt, another um, top-class uh, executive, I would have thought. And permanent TSB aren't even paying their chief executive up to the half a million. They're paying them less. Well, in the case of Bank of Ireland, of course, it was a follow-on to the previous CEO. Uh, if, if, if one previous CEO was one rate of pay, one would expect the new CEO to be on something similar to that. Um, the other two are, are, are cases of point. I suppose my basic point is, what, what do I see as my um, priority? over the course of the next number of years working within BPFI is that we're not an outlier. That Ireland is a, a, a good place to bank, a sustainable, profitable place to bank, but also a place where we're not an outlier, where we are at the core of other Eurozone countries and how banks are treated and how banks are capitalised and how banks are funded and how banks operate in the, in the real day-to-day modern economy. That's really what I see as kind of my ambition in this, that we're not outliers. And in a circumstance where you have artificial pay caps, which actually add to fixed costs. Like in a circumstance, Kieran, where there was some downturn and the banks wanted to unwind some of these increases in fixed pay, they'd be in a very difficult position. It's not a, a good pay policy 
that the only way you can improve mm. um, okay. people's conditions is through a direct increase in fixed pay. Just finally, you mentioned the Corn Ferry report, which was commissioned by the government uh, late last year. It's been delivered to the government. I, my understanding is that the Minister for Finance, Pascal Luna, who's had it for about a month or so. When do you expect him to publish it or to uh, bring forward some recommendations Listen, to Cabinet? I mean, that that's an entirely a matter for government um, and for the Minister uh, as to how they're going to pr- proceed on this. Um, I mean, I, I just think as, as a small open economy, we need um, to benchmark ourselves against other small open economies and what we do in this space and hold banks to account for um, particularly people who have very large responsibilities. I spoke to someone in the banks recently about this issue of, of pay. Uh, there's issues across pay across in the bank. One particular bank is a very significant graduate recruitment program. Uh, that graduate recruitment recruits really some of the smartest kids uh, coming from our, our universities. And like we want to have an industry that's on its f- feet again, an industry that looks to the future, an industry which is full of bright young people who have a lot to contribute to the efficient use of capital in this country. And the point was made to me by a, a leading CEO um, that the problem is those people who come with very good degrees, they have a basic training in mm. a whole range of different competencies in the bank, from capital markets to provisioning to how they deal with regulation and culture. The problem is, once they get to a certain level, the international banks take them up. So there is a talent issue. There's also a talent issue for the international banks here, whether they're the right range of people. So as an industry, which is so important, with 28,000 people working in it, which contribute so much to, ta- to tax, which also is a key driver for investment, we've got to get that piece right and talk about the future in a way that people who are coming into the industry can see a future for themselves. And it's not about really the pay cap per se. It's about having... Um, a system of remuneration, both fixed and variable, that uh, incentivizes the kind of, not just the behaviour, but incentivizes uh, the kind of change management uh, that banks have to be at the fore of. All right, Brian, we wish you well in your new role and maybe you'll join us on Inside Business again in the future Delighted. to tell us about what progress you're making. All right. <laughs> Cheers, Brian, hey, Thank you for joining us. Cheers, Kieran. Thanks. Now, I'm happy to say that I'm joined on the line from Donegal by Pierce Darty, finance spokesman for Sinn Féin and a long-time critic of the banking industry for the way in which they've treated their customers post the crash. Uh, Pierce Darty, where do you stand on the banker bonus issue? Uh, Michael Darcy earlier this week suggesting that it should remain in place. Do you agree with that view? I, I do, um, and I think it was uh, very premature uh, of AIB uh, the year before last to announce that they were going to move uh, towards a, a bonus payment structure, um, given that it is actually the houses of the Rockless that would need to change the law uh, to remove the, the what is the, what we would call the super tax on, on bankers' bonuses, which in effect uh, allows the banks to pay the bonuses, but uh, if they're paid, we would claw back as a state 89% of every euro or 89 cent of every euro that was paid in, in bonuses. Um, and it's very clear in my view that there is uh, little appetite uh, for that within uh, the Oireachtas. However, I think the, um, the 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 report that was commissioned by the Minister for Finance is probably the first step uh, in a in a road uh, which mightn't be too long to actually uh, reducing uh, that that limit and, and and possibly even removing the cap in its entirety. Yeah, this is the Corn Ferry report, which was commissioned by the government uh, late last year. My understanding is that it's been provided to the minister for finance about a month ago, um, but he hasn't done anything with it, he hasn't published it clearly, and he hasn't made any recommendations to the Cabinet. Have you any sense of what's in this report? 
Only what's, uh, what we see in the media and probably helpfully what we see in relation to the central bank's response to the Corn Ferry report. Um, I think that it that speaks volume that we have a response from the central bank to the report which is published on their website, uh, yet the report itself, uh, commissioned by the Minister of Finance, is still kept secret. It needs to be published. It should be published without a delay. This debate is, is, is ongoing, <laughs> evident from this conversation today, but also in different conversations, whether it's at the McGill Summer School, um, from senior members of the, the central bank, or whether it's in the media uh, or in political circles. This debate has taken place and has taken place in absence of having this report uh, published. So he, the minister should publish this immediately uh, and then have a proper discussion in relation to what are the recommendations, observations or or otherwise that, uh, that, that, that that's in this report. Now, there are obviously very good reasons for introducing both the salary cap and the tax on bonuses. People were very angry post the crash and, and because of the €64 billion Euro bailout. But we're more than a decade on. Is it still relevant to have those two elements in place? And is there not some merit to the argument that the banks make that they're finding it difficult to attract and to retain talent because other banks in Ireland, whether they're domestic, you know, whether they're in the domestic retail industry or whether they're IFSC banks, and they have the the armory, if you like, to uh, poach staff from AIB, Bank of Ireland, or permanent TSB. And you also have an issue around maybe people who are talented in in technology uh, who will be poached potentially by the likes of a Facebook or a Google or a Twitter or one of these social media companies. So are they still relevant at this point in time? Uh, well. First of all, you know, you're right in saying that there was a huge anger towards the bank uh, 10 years ago uh, when this happened. Um, but anger isn't a policy. Uh, anger is an emotion. The, the policy, that, and the reason the policy was introduced, in my view, despite the fact that I would have been really angry with what the banks did to the economy and the impact it had on Irish citizens. But the, the reason that I wanted to ensure that this tax was placed on, on bankers' bonuses is because the policy of bankers' bonuses created much of the problem. Uh, it was where people took extra risks because of bonuses in relation to performance. Uh, they, you know, we can see it in Anglo, we can see it in AIB, where loans were given out which were well above sectoral limits, where there was over-concentration in certain elements of commercial property because they were looking at returns. And as a result of that there, they got paid huge bonuses uh, depending on what level of the bank that they were in. So bankers' bonuses, in, in, in my view, and as somebody who sat on the banking uh, inquiry, uh, was very much part of a problem in terms of the risk appetite uh, and the incentivization of risk um, from an institutional level down to the individual within the bank. So therefore, I don't see a role for them uh, to come back in relation to staff within the, within the banks. And that's it's not whether the anger has subdued or not. It's it's. It's the fact that uh, that these type of performance related, which is always measured on the basis of um, return on investment, uh, is not a good policy in terms of uh, a banking sector, which right up until today uh, is still not dealing adequately with its customers. And the best example of that is, uh, despite the fact that we have, you know, the theft of nearly, you know, three quarters of a billion euro from nearly 40,000 customers, uh, we know I know, uh, in dealing with individuals, that there's many other thousands of people that the banks still don't acknowledge uh, that they took their mon money wrongly from them in relation to the tracker mortgage uh, scandal.
Yeah, now, of course, there's a new regulatory, a much stiffer regulatory regime in place now. And we have European Banking Authority rules around bonuses and so forth. And there are provisions for clawbacks uh, of some of these bonuses if something goes pear-shaped at a bank. And these executives could be required to uh, hand back um, uh, some or all of their of their bonuses. Is that not a fair, would that not be a fair regime? Yeah, look, in principle, it's 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 fair. Um, you know that you would have a clawback, and and that was teased out for by us in the in the banking inquiry when we, when we looked at this issue. But you know, in principle as well, that when individual bankers do something wrong, um, that there is a method there within uh, the central bank where they can be stripped of their job, that they can the fitness and property test can apply to them. Now, let's just look at what we've gone through. Let's look at the latest central bank report, which tells us that 99 family homes were taken from people wrongly, that, you know, 600 million euro was taken wrongly from over 40,000 people's accounts, that this happened across numerous banks, but not one person, not one person, despite the powers that are there, has been found, to, it has been deemed unfit to hold the position that they, have, that they hold in any of the banks, not one person has been convicted, not one person has lost their job as a result of this here. Um, so, yes, in theory, you know, you have these type of powers of fitness and property and clawbacks and all the rest. But in practice, it, it's very difficult because the same situation, if we had a repeat of the tracker mortgage scandal, how do we take the bonus off an individual who was incentivized to do that in the first place when it's it's very difficult to prove that it was him or her that was actually the individual involved. And that's that's the history of, of banking. So if you introduce this type of incentive, what you're doing is not that they don't just have an incentive to do well for the bank, but they have a financial incentive for themselves and their family to do what they have done uh, to, to to their customers in the past. Um, and, and, and that's not good. There is, there is so much damage that can be done in relation to uh, the banking sector. And we still have that bitter taste in our mouth as a result of what we went through the last 10 sure. years, that the incentivization uh, of risk is not, is, is, is not appropriate. If there is an issue in terms of remuneration at the lower levels within the banks, then that can be dealt with within a remuneration policy uh, without going into bonuses. What is very clear is that the banking sector, and really this debate started off uh, a number of years ago in relation to the fact that the 500,000 cap on on, on on the banking sector was inappropriate. Knowing that there is no public appetite to that, what has happened is the bankers and the mouthpiece for the bankers have now changed that debate and have argued that it isn't about the, the, the most highly paid individuals within the banks, those that are earning half a million euro, but they're more worried and more concerned about those that are paid less down the pecking order. Well, there is no restriction whatsoever on that bank, on AIB, Bank of Ireland or any other bank for increasing the remuneration of those individuals without having to pay a bonus. What they're, where there is a restriction is that you should not be able to and you cannot uh, employ somebody in a bank um, more than half a, a, a million euro uh, per annum uh, without including, and, and that excludes their pension and some of the other perks that they can get. And even the central bank will argue today, as they have in the past, uh, that that level of cap is an appropriate cap. Um, and uh, the European Central Bank will argue that. Uh, and we've seen in the past where 
properly skilled, motivated and, and fit for uh, purpose people can come in and fill those positions sure. and still have a very profitable bank and, and, and work within those caps sure. that are set. Uh, now, Brian Hayes, former Fine Gael politician, has recently taken over as Chief Executive of the Banking and Payments Federation Ireland and he was just on earlier on Inside Business and he, he made the point that three tests really need to be met before and the government should uh, loosen the restrictions. One is that we need to get beyond the fully beyond the tracker issue. So there are still enforcement um, proceedings ongoing there against a number of banks by the Central Bank of Ireland. And that there needs to be progress made on the culture agenda by the banks and that we also need this personal accountability regime with the, which the Central Bank has been pushing for. He suggested that it could take two to three years um, to deal with those issues uh, before an unwinding of of these restrictions can take place. Um, would that seem reasonable to you? Not at all, because it misses the point. The point here is that what Brian Hayes and others are arguing for is the incentivization, the financial incentivization of risk within the banking sector. So he's created three conditions which are already happening. You know, the three conditions he talked about are three things that are already in place that are going to, about to happen anyway. So, And he's basically set them up on behalf of the industry to say that when these three things happen, everything's going to be okay and let's bring back the bankers bonuses and let's go back to where we were 10 years ago you know and and it's a very clever argument for brian hayes that's why he's been recruited into the position as as the spokesperson for bankers um and in his new position and and that's what he's doing i'm i'm glad and i hope that there's um that that there's uh, depth uh, and sincerity to the comments of Michael Darcy that you know that we won't be going back to those days, um, and it's important that we don't remember, uh, we don't forget uh, what happened when we incentivised those type of risks. And you know, you, you and it's not just talking at a more at the most senior level of of of, of banking. You also had that drilled down into other levels, uh, less senior within banking, where people were looking at performance related pay structures for the sale of mortgages, for the sale of loans, for the sale of uh, credit, um, which 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 got us into serious, serious problems. You know, the banker's bonus um, cap affects not just a handful of individuals, it affects over 28,000 people within within the banks that, uh, that the, the state has a share in it. And there's a reason for that. As I said, there's no reason why we would have a low-paid uh, or less-paid individual within the, within the banking sector. Remuneration policy should be able to deal with that. But there's also a point, particularly when the state has shares within these banks, where you actually say, well, what are you chasing? Are you chasing the Apples, the Googles, the Intels? And then what do we do with the central bank? Because as we allow these bon- if we allow these bonuses to come back within our banks and remove the caps and allow them to go back to paying a million and a million and a half for their CEOs, how do we attract the type of regulators we need in our central bank? And because we can't match those type of figures. And, you know, the argument that the central bank will make is that people come to these these jobs for different reasons and people have sometimes a pride, sometimes they're not just motivated by financial uh, by financial incentives, but that they, they want to do good by the public. But there is a real danger uh, by introducing bonuses uh, in the banking sector and introduce, uh, removing the cap within the banking sector that you do, one, you increase the risk, but two, also you increase uh, a, a outflow from the Irish Central Bank uh, as the regulators to, to, to the banking sector as well, which will make it very difficult for us to keep an eye on what's happening within the financial system. Now, Pierce, you've been in politics a long time and uh, you're a realist of nothing else. You know that these restrictions aren't going to be in place forever. In your view, how much longer should they be in place and under what circumstances uh, could they be removed? 
Well, like I, I don't believe that. I, I believe strongly that it, that Ireland should have a state ownership of, of one of the banks. I believe that that should be AIB, and we should stop selling off any more shares within AIB. I, I think that the state would have a difficulty in the long term, medium term, uh, imposing burdens on banks that are completely privatised, regardless of the impact that they had. That's 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 the reality there. But the reality is that the levels of caps in, at a European level are, are enormous. Like they're they're in the two two million uh, uh, period. What we can do is we need to make sure that we do not have the, the you know incentive of risk. And, and there is a responsibility. So I don't give up. I don't I don't give in to think the thoughts that this is about to change. I I am a realist. I know what's happening. I know that there was an odd, in my view that there was an odd and a wink given to AIB. AIB do not announce uh, in their annual report that they're introducing bonuses without an understanding between the Minister for Finance and the Department of Finance. That's the reality of it. That's the real politics of that. Something happened in the meantime where they didn't get the go-ahead. There was a reaction, obviously, from ourselves and from Fianna Fáil, uh, which said we wouldn't facilitate that at the time. So therefore, it was dead in the water. So the Minister has now come up with this other effort, which is international report uh, by experts. Let's look at the thing, which is basically, you know, as I said, this is now the trajectory to actually moving in this direction. From my point of view, uh, I think this is a bad mistake. This is repeating the mistakes of the past. Uh, and I actually don't believe that we should have a financial system that is based on bonuses uh, at that place, burden and pressure on individuals for uh, performance-related pay, which in the banking sector is always about how much money you can you can sell, how much credit you can sell to individuals, regardless of whether they want that or not. On one hand, we have a central bank which is trying to dampen down demand in relation to credit with their restrictions, and on the other hand, we have this debate that's going on, which will actually just increase that and will will incentivise banks to 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 look beyond what is prudent uh, and individual bankers to look beyond what is prudent and, and, and in my view do the wrong thing. So I'm I'm not ready to wave the white flag. It is the Erectus. Um, that that has to remove this cap. It is in legislation, um, and you know, unless Fianna Fáil uh, change their view in this year, then this 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 will not happen in in the short term. Okay, Pierce Hardy, thank you for joining us. Okay, thank you. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Peter Hamilton, Brian Hayes and Pierce Doherty. Declan Conlon produced the show with Rob O'Sullivan as sound engineer. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed each day on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. 